This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Okay, so I'm not usually the type of guy that likes to give lectures. I'm more of an interactive type of person. And I'll notice that half you're going to put your head down and hope to not make any eye contact. But uh, the goal really here is for us to learn together. I consider all of you my chavrusa. We're going to learn together. And hopefully along the way, I'm going to pick up some inspirational nuggets from you. And hopefully I will try my best to reciprocate by conveying to you some powerful messages um, that I think is of a topic that we all struggle with, struggle with, whether we are children, teenagers, young adults, midlife, older. And that is how to engage in tefillah. Tefillah is such a primary, such a major focus of our avodah Hashem, our service to God. And yet oftentimes, depending where you are in your level of observance, or your experience in and understanding Hebrew, or feeling connected when you don't necessarily feel that unfortunately sometimes you feel like Hashem may not be standing right in front of me, or worse yet, we say to ourselves sometimes, wait, he's going to listen to me and him and her and him all at the same time and somehow he's going to be able to ensure that he doesn't get any of the messages mixed up. Like we sometimes personify, we impose on HaKadosh Baruch Hu limitations because we would have those same limitations when in reality he's Hashem and he can literally do everything. So it's really shared with you, everything I'm going to share with you today are things that I'm trying to work through myself. I'm never comfortable conveying or sharing messages that I myself are not thinking about. That's hypocritical. And I would never put myself on a pedestal or stand in front of such a Heliga group if I myself am not working through these. But I want to share with you what I believe to be our three major elements to tefillah, some of which are obstacles that we need to try to encounter, endure, and overcome, some of which we have in the back of our minds we've never been willing to admit and maybe now that a rabbi stands in front of you, you feel validated. So now you too can feel that way. And maybe once you feel that way, you can tackle them head on. But to try to really understand the value of tefillah. I know it sounds funny. We have a knowledgeable group. Many of us, all of us send our children to yeshiva, to, to Jewish day schools where they're learning since they're two years old at the same Moda'ani. Many of us grew up observant. The rabbi is going to speak to me about tefillah. That's such a basic fundamental element of our belief. If I told you how many rabbis have written svarim just on tefillah, significantly more scholarly than anybody, including myself, sitting in this room, that alone should convey to you the challenges that tefillah presents us and how we need to try to understand better how we can take advantage of this un- unbelievable opportunity. This week's parsha is Parshas Veschanon. Parshas Veschanon. I love when I come across something, I'm 40, almost 45 years old, and uh, I read the Torah, I grew up from my whole life, I went to yeshiva all the way through, smicha, kola, the whole deal. And you come across a Pasuk you've seen 101 times, you never picked up on it, until you come across an insight from someone, you're like, I can't read this Pasuk any other way now that I've seen it. The Torah introduces this week's parasha, post Tishba v'eschanan, v'eschanan el Hashem ba'esahi lemor. Now all I'm going to do for you is I'm going to translate the words, and let's see... I might put some people whose names I happen to know on the spot, so just get ready. See if you can see something that seems to be somewhat difficult just by simply translating the words. Here we go. Vo'eschanan. Anybody know what that word means? Vo'eschanan. Ve'etchanan, if you're Sephardic or Latino. What? And I beseeched before. Now, when you're going to pray to God, what do you need to use? Your mouth. So ve'eschanan means I'm going to pray, I'm going to speak to you, I'm going to beseech myself before you, Hashem. 
El Hashem to Hashem. So far, so good. Okay, you're related to us. So I can call on you still, okay? But Ace, anybody know what that word means? Ace, at the time, i.e., this time, Lamor. Say, okay, let's go through that now. I'm just going to translate the words. I'm going to speak to Hashem and pray at this time, saying. Now, I'd like to challenge anyone, if you were to have written this Torah, what word here is extra, unnecessary, superfluous? Lamor. I'm going to damage you, Hashem, at this time. Eli, how many extra words are there in the Torah? Zero. So if the Torah has a word that seems to be extra, that seems not to add to anything in the basic fundamental translation of the Pasuk, what do we have to ask ourselves? What is this word teaching me? By show of hands, if you review the Parsha, have you asked this question before? Until two years ago, never asked this question. Shnai Mikavach, Targum, reading the Pesukim in England, never asked this question. What is Lamor te- teaching me? So I want to share with you how we need to start this exercise of growth together, because I told you there's a Chavrusa, how we are supposed to begin an understanding of what tefillah is really all about. The Kedushas Levi, I believe Yitzchak Mibarditchev, the holy, holy Bardichever, says something that is absolutely mind-blowing and life-altering. I'm going to translate the words according to the way the Kedushas Levi reads them, because you have to explain what that last word means. el Hashem. Moshe says, I need to daven to Hashem so that I can daven. Vo'eschanan. First, I've got to make sure that I can, I can actually daven to Hashem. Once I understand who I'm standing before, Lamar, now I can actually start the tefillah. Let me, let me say that again. Says the Kedushas Levi, we have to realize what an incredible privilege and zechus it is to even be able to talk to God. Moshe says, wait a second, I can't run into the davening. I've got to first make sure that I'm even worthy of davening. Moshe speaks to God and says, I'm speaking to you, God, and asking, can I talk to you? Now that he felt out the situation, he realizes God is listening. Okay, lay more. Now I'm ready to begin my actual tefillah. How often, I'll speak as a man, okay? For a man, there's certain religious pressures. Everybody has their peckle, but for a man, one of the religious pressures, one of the things that really defines you, the really from guy is, you got to go to Minyan. Got to be on time to shul three times a day. No rest for the weary. How often do I walk into shul? I'm tired. I got a lot on my head. I don't understand every single word I'm saying. I get up there. No one has to admit it. I'll say it for myself. I'm in the middle of Shmon Astray. I started. And all of a sudden I turn around. I'm in the middle of Shema Koleinu. And I have no idea how I got there. I have no idea. I have no idea how I got there. And I'm saying to myself, wait, did I say all the words? But like, I know I finished Matzmiach Karen Yeshua, so I know I got there somehow. And I'm completely spaced out. I'm completely spaced out. How often, and I remember I was talking once to a colleague, we were talking about high schoolers, why high schoolers have more trouble doubting, particularly boys, why that's an epidemic, why teenage boys have such a hard time doubting. There's a lot of different answers, but one of the possible suggestions are that hopefully most teenagers, boys and girls, if they have a normal, stable family life, 
They have a normal, stable school, and they have normal, stable friends. Life's good. I don't need him. I don't need him. All of a sudden, why is it that those same children, when they're 15, 16, and 17, can't dive in a lick? You see them, you bump into them 15 years later, and they're 30 years old, and they're davening with tremendous kavana. What happened? Okay, maturity happened. Maybe they were lit on fire a little bit. But you know what they realized when they were 30 years old? Well, I have a wife. I got to make sure that we have shalom bias. I have kids who I know I'm certainly not in control of their health and their success. I got to worry about this thing called parnasso so I can actually feed them. I need a roof on my head. I got to make sure hopefully I can send them to camp. Every so often I'd like to go away for a night with my wife. I'd like to have a strong chaver of people in the community I live in. And 99.9% of that is not in my control. Is not in my control. When you realize your entire life from A to Z is up to him, oh, you're not spacing out in Shmakalainu anymore. You're realizing you're talking to the CEO. You're talking to the guy who calls all the shots. You're not looking outside your sitter. You're not talking in the mirror of Kriya Satora. You're standing before the guy who makes the final decisions. Do you realize what an incredible zechus it is that the CEO three times a day gives you the opportunity to talk to him one-to-one? No distractions. He's not on his phone answering 15 WhatsApps. You have his full undivided attention. Do we take advantage? Do we squeeze it in? Do we get up late one morning? Don't have enough time to say everything, so we'll just say some of it. If you had a meeting with the President of the United States, I'm not making any political statements right now, President of the United States, you wouldn't prepare your statements. You wouldn't be totally locked in. You wouldn't be focused. You wouldn't make sure that you spent many hours carefully calculating every word coming out of your mouth. And that's the President who has no say in what's going on in the world. He does. Says the Kedush Haslevi, Understand the unbelievable privilege we each have to stand before the Ribbono Shalom every single day. And I'm going to talk about even more than three times a day. We'll talk about it later. And realize and appreciate the privilege you have. That's where this conversation needs to start. Because if we look at feel as a burden, as something we're carrying, it's weighing us down, not going to work. We have to tweak our approach. We have to adjust how we see this as not something that we have to do, but something that we get to do. So how do we do it? No, Debbie, how do we do it? Debbie, no, you Baruch Hu has been very kind to me. I don't know why this happens. I'm very lucky. But whenever I'm asked to give a shir, many times, I give a topic. Somebody asked me for a topic weeks before I've even thought about giving the shir. I'm like, I can't, I don't know, I'm not thinking it's like two weeks away even, like you're too OCD for me. And I give the topic, I honestly have no idea what I'm going to talk about, and I'm like, okay, it feels a nice thing, it's post Tishabab, let's talk about it. And then HaKadosh Baruch Hu, I'm, I'm going through, learning my own stuff, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu starts dropping different things. I believe it's based on the Gemara, the Gemara tells us, that a person who takes their first step and wants to do the right thing, HaKadosh Baruch Hu helps them the rest of the way. Hashem says, you're willing to, to offer your time to give a shear. I'll make sure that everything comes out so they don't look like a doofus, okay? <laughs> so I want to share with you something I saw last week. Saw last week. And um, I really believe that until we accept this as a reality, 
tefillah is going to constantly be a burden to us. And it can't be, because it's a zechus. It's a zechus. You are the 0.01% who even know how to daven in the world. Take advantage. Okay. The Megillah, Megillah's Esther, the Torah, the Megillah tells us the following words. Sa'ak libam el Hashem. They cried out with their hearts to Hashem. There's a great rabbi, I happen to be a huge fan, if you don't have a svarim and your Hebrew's good, you should get him in Hebrews. A lot of the svarim are now coming out translations. Rabbi Yisrael Meridruk, big, big, big Talmud of Rav Chaim Kanievsky Zatzal. Unfortunately, when Chaim passed away that Friday, if the Shushan Purim, Rav Druk had a heart attack. That's how close he was. That's how close. His svarim are out of this world. Highly recommend them. He now has a machzer. They translated his commentary on the machzer for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Strongly recommend. They're called the Eish Kodesh. Strongly, strongly recommend them. So he has a sefer on, literally just on Tisha B'av. The sefer is this thick, and it's just on the Gilas Eicha, and a few essays about what we should be thinking about uh, during that 25-hour period, Lo Aleinu. And he asks the following question. He wants to know, why did the Megillah say, Sa'ak el libam? Sa'ak libam el Hashem. They cry to their heart to Hashem. Weird language. If you've ever, ever read the Torah, think of other places the word tzitaka, tzadiyayin kufhei, crying out. Say for Shmos, for example. How does the Torah word it there? Anybody know? Vayitzaku el Hashem. And they cried out to Hashem. That makes a lot of sense. Tzitak libam el Hashem. It's a very, very unusual language. Very strange language. And Rav Druk is bothered by it. Because again, in addition to any extra, when something is not worded the way it normally is, we don't take things at face value in Judaism. And we have to ask ourselves, what is the Megillah, what are the Sifri Kodesh conveying through their holy words? So I want to share you something I'm telling you. I know I said it changed my life. Everything changed my life here. Like these things change your life. If, you, if, you are, if you are a thinking, feeling person, a Rav of my Rabbi Goldberg always tells me, you should be walking differently out when you walk out of the shirt than the way you walked in. You're supposed to create a little tension. You've got to think differently when you walk in. If you're not, I didn't do my job. I didn't do my job. And you can, you know, not ask me that. Okay? So if Druk says, you don't have to look farther than this week's parsha again, this week's parsha, the Pasuk says, V'es Hanan. So the Medrash tells us, we all know that there are ten Lashonos, there are ten languages, ten words that one can employ when davening, one of which is Tzaka. And the Zohar says, Rav Druk tells us, Tzaka is the most powerful form of tefillah. Of all the Lashonos, Shava, Deep, the most powerful form of tefillah is a Tzaka. But the Medrash doesn't tell us what does Tzaka mean. The most powerful form of tefillah. Zohar doesn't know. What does it mean? Says Rav Druk, that's why the Pasuk in Megillah Esther says, Tsa'ak libam el Hashem. Tsa'aka literally means crying out from your heart. Not necessarily always using words to articulate your communication, but literally screaming out to Hashem, either out of desperation, or out of feeling, or out of emotion, or of anger or out of anything that you need to connect to Hashem with, tzi'aka means crying out from the deepest, 
recesses of your emotion of your heart. In fact, he points out of to substantiate this whole claim of what se'ake means. Think about this for a second. When did Hashem finally liberate the Jewish people? Va'yitz'aku el Hashem. Why then? Because words are important. And we'll never, ever, God forbid, our Anshe Knesset Hagedola comprised, composed all of our tefillos. And the Be'er Halacha, I know it, Eli, I know it well. The Be'er Halacha, written by the Chavetz Chaim, tells us that every single word written by the Anshe Knesset Hagedola, you have to take very seriously. They're embedded segulas, they're embedded kedusha. You can't be flippant, you got to say every word. But we can't just be limited by the words that we are prescribed to say. Va'yitz'aku el Hashem. It was only when the Hashem heard the cries they didn't say Shmon Esrei, and they didn't say Az Yashir, and they didn't say Tachanun. They simply didn't know what to say, and they cried. Kosh Baruch says, now you mean business. In fact, they saw something unbelievable, unreal. You ever ask yourself this question? Never did it until I saw it quoted last week. We say the words, Shma Koleinu, Chus Farachem Aleinu, V'kabel Berachamim Uviratzon Estefilaseinu. Translate, Shma Koleinu, hear our voices, have pity on us, etc., and accept our tefillahs. Asks Rav Druk, that's redundant. If you're going to say at the end, accept my tefillahs, what's that going to include? Shmakalenu, hear my voice. Why are you telling me, hear my voice, accept my tefillahs? Once you say, accept my tefillahs, include the first step. The Anshay Knesset didn't realize it. Chas v'shalom. Says Rav Druk, Shmakalenu, Kabel Barachim Rotson has tefillah senu, two different types of tefillah. We know the Kabel Barachamim of Uratzon as Tefillah We know the part, Valerie, about what? About hearing a Tefillah that we say with our mouths. But sometimes we forget. Not HaKadosh Baruch Hu, don't just listen to my words that I'm saying sometimes even when I space out. Hear my voice. Hear my Tzitaka. Hear the cries when I'm worried about that kid who has an unstable family life or that person who's looking for a shidduch, or that person who's sick, who I simply can't convey or articulate with anything other than, ah! Don't just listen and accept kabel barachamim of ratzon as tefilaseinu. Shema, listen. Listen with that compassionate ear that I know you have. Koleinu, listen to my voice. It's hard. It's hard. Because we are habituated. Baruch Hashem, we grew up, you grew up from, or if you've been from for a long time, we know all behind, all of davening by heart, and all of davening by heart. It's hard. It's hard to personalize the tefillah to such a degree that we find ways to talk to Hashem beyond the words. Again, I want to make clear, I am not a heretic. I fully endorse, nor do they need my haskama. You should have to absolutely, to fulfill the mitzvah requirement of tefillah, we need to use our sidurim. Because if we didn't have the sidurim, half the time we'd be making it up. We need that prescribed formula. But what we need to do is to find the tzaka in our lives. To find and carve out space in our davening that makes it about us and what we need in ways that we can't necessarily just use the words that have been given to us. By the way, I'll add one more. I didn't put on my notes. But if Druk points out, you ever notice? What did uh, Yitzchak say? The hakol kol Yaakov. Why hakol? What about his reach? What about his smell? Also, it's a little different. What was Yitzchak saying? The power of the Jew is in his kol. The power, voice, the power of the Jew is in that screaming out, is that understanding that yes, we have to dive in the regular tefillos that we have absolutely three times a day, not going to skip a word. But we've got to find opportunities to be tzo'akim, 
We've got to be, I have opportunities. So Libam, cry out with your heart, El Hashem. Not just say it where it's immutable, where it's divested, where it's isolated from what we feel. We've got to be feeling, walking, Ovde Hashem. We've got to start to realize that we're standing in an incredible privilege. We're standing in front of Hashem and we can scream, he's okay with that, Hannah did it. And the only time that she ever got what she wanted is when she did. Only time. I have a lot to say about that, but for maybe another time you'll ask me back, I'll tell you about that. Tefillah part two, okay? We have to be talking. We've got to be screaming out and there's so much nebuch. The world is upside down, upside down. Upside down. My youngest kid, I'm going to talk about him in a moment. My youngest kid is 11. I have 11 to 21. Okay? And my parents, I remember, they told me when we first started having kids, I'm so thankful that I'm not raising kids in this generation. We're like, thanks, mom and dad. That really was encouraging. I now think about my own kids and what they're going to have to do. It's unfathomable. Unfathomable. We have to manage Davin for the next generation. But not Davin, we're just Kabel Barachamim Uvoratzon Estifilaseinu. We've got a mamish stand in front of the Rebbeinu Shalolim and be tzo'akim. Tzo'ak libam el Hashem. Biggest challenge. Biggest challenge of tefillah. I'll tell you a story. About two months ago, I don't know if you guys keep tabs on what's going on up north in Boca. <laughs> we had a terrible tragedy in Boca. Terrible tragedy. There was a 47-year-old man, two years older than me, a doctor, Baltzdaka, on the boards of the yeshivas. He did not feel well on Shavuos. Shavuos was a Shabbos Sunday, Monday. Went to the hospital, and one week later, he was dead. Six children, Somim. Oldest one is 22. Youngest one is my son's age. Okay? Rocked the community. Been a rough couple of years for Boca in general. We've, we've lost a few people in different situations. But like there was no warning signs. Totally floored. So what every good school does, they got my son's class together. School's over already. Obviously, if they were in school, it would be a little bit easier in this regard. School's over. That Sunday, they got the whole class together with their fathers. The principal of the school, one of the rabbinim in the community came and we met and they talked just to name everything and really begin to open the lines of communication. Okay. My wife and I, I mean, I'm not that old. I'm 44 years old. But I've been in Chinuch for 20 years. Totally different world when it's your own kids, when you're dealing with other people's kids. Had no idea what my 11-year-old was processing. Had no idea. Had no idea. About six hours go by. He doesn't say anything. He seems to be okay. He's very close with this boy. Remember, he has five older siblings. So to get a word in already is a little bit challenging. He turns to me and he says, in front of his family, we're in the kitchen. He turns to me and says, hey, Abba, where did the tefillos go? Last week. We davened so hard. Where did the tefillos go? And he volunteers here. Mm-hmm. My wife looks at me. My wife and I work together. She is not volunteering to offer a response. My, my, my children all face me. As the father in the family, this is what my responsibility is. What should I respond to an 11-year-old when he asks, where do the tefillos go? I'd like to ask by a show of hands, do not raise your hand, it's just metaphoric. How many of us feel that way sometimes? 
I dive in so hard for that job for my husband. I dive in so hard that my kids should get into the right school or seminary or yeshiva. I dive in so hard for that shit. Where are they going? And if they're not going anywhere, why am I going to continue to do it? My son may be 11 years old, but he's asking a big boy question. So what did I respond? There's a pasuk in Parshas Vayera, in which the Torah describes that Avram Avinu has made the determination that he's going to destroy Sodom. Yeah, we know the story. Sodom, Amor, not a great place to live or raise a family. You wouldn't want any of your children marrying from there. Okay, not a great place. We all know the story. Pretty familiar, yeah? Familiar with the story? Good. Again, I'm not going to challenge any of you, but I guarantee none of you asked the question I'm going to present to you right now. And if you do, free lunch on Ely. <laughs> Hashem says, you know, before I go and do this, before I go ahead and I destroy these cities, I should probably tell Avraham. Tell Avraham, what in the world does Avraham have anything to do with Stone and Amor? And then the Torah does something where you like have no idea what he's saying. What does Hashem say? The Hashem Amar. Hashem says to himself, Avram? Can I possibly conceal that which I have from Avram? He's going to be the father of a great nation. Now, all of us have read these Pesukim, these verses before, yeah? Anybody ask, what in the world is the connection between the two parts? Hashem needs to tell Avraham about a nation that has nothing to do with him because he's going to be the father of a great nation? Like, what does one have to do with the other? If he were to tell me because there were one of the cities was Jewish, okay, I understand. But I can't conceal. How can I conceal from Avram that Stom and Amorah? After all, Avram is going to be the father of a great nation. Yeah, a great nation that's going to survive and not be killed by you tomorrow. What in the world is the connection? Not my question. And I guarantee I'm pretty confident no one else has asked this question here, correct? Okay, amazing question though, right? Yeah? Yeah? Good. Got the Nash trifecta. <laughs> Not my question. The question of Rav Shimshin David Pinkis, Zecher Tzadik, if you know his story, amazing person. I don't want to say Hashem took him too young because Hashem knows what he's doing, but he, he was killed in a tragic car accident in his late 50s. So much to offer the world and so much that we're gleaning still from. And he asks this question. And he suggests an answer based on a mushal from the Dubna Magid. And he says the following. He says, imagine the scene. An elderly fellow, he walks into a suit store. I go to the suit lady in Teaneck or in the Five Towns. If you're familiar with that's where I get my suits. I walk into the store. It's a little stressful experience for me. My wife can't handle it, you know, but we get it done. An older man goes in, very particular. Very particular. I want that kind of style. A little bit slim fit, but not too tight. I'm already in my 50s, 60s, 70s. Not... Got to make sure I can wear it. It's got the right color. I can use it for a wedding. I can use it for a bar mitzvah. Very, very particular. It takes him an hour, but he found the suit. He's ready to pay. Gets to the register and walks in some whippersnapper, 22-year-old, 23-year-old. And he goes, okay, I'll have one of those, one of those, one of those, one of those. Takes the four or five suits up. Is at the register standing behind this elderly fellow. This guy, this older man is blown away. I just spent an hour looking for my suit, and you just picked out four or five suits without any hesitation. What's the deal? So he musters up the chutzpah and guardians. He turns to the guy and says, listen, I got to understand. What, what are you thinking? It took me an hour to go ahead and pick that suit out. How are you able to do this? 
So the younger man, with a little bit of chutzpah, but with a wit to him, says the Dubno Magid. says, you have to understand. You're an older fellow. Let's be honest. You don't know how long you're going to be able to make use of the suit. So you want to make sure it's the right suit. I'm a young guy. Guess what? If it doesn't fit me today, I'll give it to my brother. If the style is lost next year, I'll wait 15 years and I'll come back. I got my whole life ahead of me. So if I don't use the suits right now, I'll use them later on. If I've taught or shared anything with you, listen to this. Says Rav Pinkis. What's HaKadosh Baruch Hu's cheshbin? What's his thought process, so to speak? He says, you know what? I can't conceal this from Avraham. You know why? Because what's going to happen is, if I tell Avraham, what is he going to do? He's going to daven. I know it's not going to matter. I know it's not going to matter. I'm still going to destroy Sodom and Amorah. But you know what I'm going to do with all of those tefillos? I'm going to bank them. And you know why I need to bank them? Because he's going to be the father of a great nation. And sometime later on, guess what? The Enoch, the grandchildren, are going to need the Zedas tefillos. How can I conceal from Avram? After all, he's going to be the father of a great nation. Says HaKadosh Baruch Hu, I can't deprive Avraham, nor can I deprive his grandchildren, his descendants, from the tefillos that Avraham are going to beseech himself. Because later on, he's going to be the father of a great nation, or going to be so desperate for those tefillos that I'm going to be able to bank. I turned to my son. Baruch Hashem, I had seen this vart many, many, many years earlier. I do not know how I said this. I mamish thank the Ribbon Shalom. That next davening, Hashem literally put the words in my mouth. I have no idea where they came from, and I don't really know what I'm talking about. So like, I, but 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 he he was good with it. I said my son's name is Shlomo. I said Shlomo. There's a job in this world called a financial planner. What's a financial planner? A financial planner is someone who, Abba and mommy go if they feel that you know they want to start planning, and they want to put money away for retirement, and to be able to do the things they want to do. They meet with this person who understands the stock market, understands investments, understands where to allocate the money that's ultimately going to make you more money so that you have it when you're older. I said, Shlomo, what would happen if I met with the financial planner and I had a certain amount of money and I said to the financial planner, I wanted to go there and he told me, no, it should be going there. Should I override the financial planner or should the financial planner override me? Financial planner should override you, Abba. He knows more than you what you know. I said, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is our financial planner. We sometimes think that a tefillah should go there. We think that's the right investment to allocate our tefillos to. Sometimes HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, no, no, it's going to be over there. You know that person that was supposed to have gotten into a car accident? Yeah, yeah, your tefillah for Dr. Lindenberg, that's going to save that person. Oh yeah, that person that was supposed to get sick now? Your tefillah that was supposed to go to him? Yeah, it's going to make sure he doesn't get sick. Son's response? Okay. And moves on to life. I'm like schwitzing bullets, breathing heavy. And he's like totally satisfied. But that's tefillah. That's, I don't know if any of you remember, Nachshon Waxman. Nachshon Waxman was a chayal who was unfortunately kidnapped by a group of Arabs that dressed up as Hasidim. It was a very heart-wrenching experience. If you were, I was in the 11th grade, 12th grade. 
The whole world stopped. The whole world stopped. I mean, there were hundreds of thousands of people going to the Kotel all day and all night. I remember, I, I'm, I'm not with them when I am now, but I remember, I remember seeing it on TV. I remember seeing what, was all, what it was all about. Unfortunately, they tried to save him through a raid, and unfortunately, the Arabs killed him. Anybody remember the press conference of his father? Okay, this father, whose fa- son was literally just murdered by Arabs, Yamach Shaman Vizichrom, could have every complaint in the world, could get on the press conference and criticize the IDF if he wanted, and no one would judge him, could criticize the Knesset, no one would judge him. He had every right in the world to say whatever he wanted, no one would have questioned it. Anybody know what he said? He got up to, in the front of everybody, a press conference on TV. And he said, I know there's a lot of young people listening. And they're probably wondering, if Nachshon was killed, where did my tefillos go? I want to alleviate your fears. I want you to know that if they weren't there to protect Nachshon, they'll be there to protect somebody else. That's tefillah. Our job is not to tell God how to run the world. Our job is to put our heshtablus and pray and daven and allow Hashem to do the rest. If we get caught up in, once we start saying, well, if my tefillah didn't go there, I don't want to daven anymore. Now you're saying to God, I don't like how you made that decision. If you start down that path, you're going to have a lot more questions than just how does tefillah operate. We have to start understanding it's true. It's a privilege to stand in front of Hashem, as we said at the beginning, and it's true. It's true that sometimes in addition, above and beyond the words we use, we have to have a tzaka, a cry out, Shema Koleinu, it's 100% true. But at the end of the day, once we've released that tefillah, we have to understand it's now up to Hashem to allocate it. We have to trust that Hashem knows where things are supposed to go. We have to have the confidence, the emunah, the faith in Hashem. That when we dialogue with him, the same way as a parent sometimes has to say no, and maybe think, I'll maybe give that to my kid for Hanukkah instead of the birthday present, maybe they'll still get it. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is our Avinu Shabbat Shamayim. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is our Tat in Heaven. And he sees things not in the screenshot that we see them. He sees the panoramic view and the scope and sequence and the consequence of every decision and everything that we say. And I think that if we take all of this to heart, I think if we internalize and we understand that we're standing understanding that we have to daven to be able to have the zuchus to daven. That we have to understand that yes, we have to use the prescribed words of our tefillah, but we need the tsa'aka in our lives because that's ultimately sometimes what's going to get the best response. And most importantly, we have to reserve judgment and not even judge. We have to let Hashem be who He is and let us be who we are. And Amir Hashem, I think, if we take all of these lessons to life, if we really internalize the privilege, the approach, and ultimately how we're supposed to respond, that please God, HaKadosh Baruch Hu should listen, Shema Koleinu, He should hear our tzakos, our screams, He should hear all of our tefillahs that we say with words, and ultimately He should yield both what He thinks is best, and hopefully that will align with what we think is best, to ultimately provide everything, all the brachos, all the shefa, all the health and happiness, the mazel and the bracha that all of us are so desperately looking for and are so desperately deserved of. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day.